And in the morning services, um, we've been thinking about the heart of Jesus. It's been a series we've initially started at the beginning of the year thinking we'd finish at Easter, and, uh, but we've just continued because there's so much to talk about the heart of Jesus. And um, it was, came out of um, a book I've been reading, I recommend it to you, uh, called uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Fantastic book. And he's got another book out called Deeper. And um, in the four Gospels, given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's about 89 chapters. There's only one verse, one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. And I know you're thinking the same thing I thought. That can't be true. I'm going home and I'm going to sort that out and read all the passages where Jesus refers to his own heart. I did that and discovered he was right. Because even the places I thought he referred to his heart, he referred to his soul, which is slightly different. It's a different word. So in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The only time he specifically refers to his own heart. And tonight I want to look at how the heart of Jesus is revealed in what he does. Uh, Because we know that that's true. Our hearts are revealed in what we do, in what we say, in how we act. And what Jesus does explains his heart He lives it out. And his invitation in that passage is for everybody to come to him. He doesn't ask us to set up a religion or do anything like that. Initially, he calls his disciples and he just says, follow me. Come to me. Anybody. Everybody. And there is no one like him. He knows us completely and loves us unconditionally. And so he invites us tonight to come to him, to share in him, as we'll be sharing in communion, to abide in him, to receive from him. We'll remember his words, do this in remembrance of me as we focus on communion. An invitation to meet with Jesus tonight by his Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is always to point us to Jesus. So in the Gospels, as we read the Gospels, we see him live out these words. Come to me all who are weary and burdened. And his life proves his heart. When we take the Gospels as a whole and consider the sort of picture that we get of Jesus, I wonder what stands out for you most about Jesus. He asked the question once, who do the crowds say I am? And the disciples said, well, they think you're a prophet or a teacher or, you know. And then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, you're the Messiah, the Christ. 
Yes, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament hopes and longings. The whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus and then moves toward that moment when Jesus comes, when he leaves his throne in heaven and he comes to be the saviour of the world, the hope of all nations. And the whole of history awaited his coming and it splits history into two, his coming. And the whole of creation awaits his second coming, The Bible says it groans in eager expectation, waiting for Jesus to be revealed, waiting for the sons and daughters of God, you and I, to be revealed. So yes, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the saviour of the world. Yes, he is holy and sinless. Even his friends fell down in reverence when they saw him at the transfiguration. They caught a glimpse of that glory that he had before he came. Peter's first encounter with Jesus is a miracle of um, the fish. And Peter doesn't go, wow, that's amazing. He says, go away from me, Jesus. I'm not good enough. I hear that a lot. And we all feel like that at times, don't we? We're not, we're not good enough for Jesus. But that's the whole point. Yes, he's the greatest teacher ever. I, even those who don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, is God the Son, think he says the most amazing things, the kind of things you would expect God to say. No one has ever taught like him or with his authority. But for me... The dominant impression of Jesus when I read the Gospels is his love and compassion, his humility. The very one who spoke creation into being humbles himself and becomes a human being. And the reason for that is to rescue us, to save us. It's the uniqueness of Christianity Of all the world religions and all the beliefs, it's unique because it says God came for you. Religion says you look for God or you try and please God. or But Jesus came for us. His heart is of love and compassion. And the Apostle Paul put it eloquently in Philippians 2. Verse 6 to 11, it's regarded as an early hymn. We don't know whether Paul wrote it or another person wrote it, but he quotes it. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amazing words, aren't they? And it tells us that God, you always at the creaky chair, John, don't you? That's you, isn't it? 
I don't deliberately put it there, but... <laughs> I just know you're here when I hear that chair. I know he moves towards us first. Before we ever thought of him, he moved towards us. He doesn't meet us halfway. He doesn't say, you come halfway, I'll meet you halfway. He comes all the way. And in his life, we see how he demonstrates his words. He moves towards, he touches, he heals, he embraces, he forgives. He invites everybody. All are invited to believe in him. That most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It was Jesus' love and compassion that broke me. I knew things about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And when I understood that he died for me, it changed me. That he would go to the cross for me. I'm not sure I'll ever get over that. I know what I'm like. And he died for me. Come to me, says Jesus. Follow me. Believe in me. All he did, he did out of love, grace, and mercy. The Jesus of the Gospels is not just someone who loves, but one who is love. Jesus is love covered in flesh. Time and time again in the Gospels, we're told about Jesus' love and compassion. And the Greek word for compassion that's often used in, in the, by the gospel writers is very earthy. It refers to what comes out of the bowels, pardon me, or the guts of somebody. It's an ancient word, way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost being. That compassion that rises up in Jesus. Now we would say, now heart. It sounds nicer, doesn't it? the compassion of his heart. We wouldn't go around saying, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> I wonder if the Greeks, you know, that was a very uh, romantic people, the Greeks. Love you with all my guts. But we understand what it means. It means that innermost being. It means the heart. This comes in waves over and over again in the ministry of Jesus when people encountered him he had compassion on them in Matthew 9 verse 36 when he was teaching them it says he had compassion on them and he taught them many things he taught the truth in Matthew 14 verse 14 when he was healing people it says he had compassion on them and healed their sick healed those who were ill even in the account of feeding the 5,000 this crowd that had sort of just gathered and hadn't had anything to eat for several hours, it says Jesus had compassion on them, Matthew 15, verse 32. So both crowds and individuals, Jesus had compassion on them. Everywhere he goes. Then in Luke 7, verse 13, 
when he raises the son of a widow at Nain. Nain is quite near Cana. And he comforts this grieving widow and his heart goes out to her. And he says, don't cry. He has compassion on this woman who's lost her only son. She's lost her husband, now she's lost her only son. And Jesus comes and he raises the son from the dead. He has compassion on her. Only Jesus can do this. Don't tell me he's just like any other religious teacher. In fact, he raises the dead three times. I mean, he's going to raise us all one day. Woohoo! But three times in the Gospels. A 12 year old daughter of Jairus, shortly after death, when he says, Little girl, I say to you, get up, Talitha Kum. And I love that the words were left untranslated into Greek, Talitha Kum, Aramaic words. Little girl, get up. And that young man from Nain, in the midst of his own funeral procession, imagine that going on, a funeral happening. And then his friend Lazarus in Bethany, who had been buried for four days. This is the compassion of Jesus. Twice in the Gospels we're told that Jesus broke down and wept. Once actually at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It just says Jesus wept outside of the tomb. The other time is when he approaches Jerusalem for the very last time. And he weeps over their rejection of him. If you only knew what would bring you peace. And he prophesied another time that Jerusalem would be flattened. And the Romans did in 1870. They flattened the whole of Jerusalem. His deepest anguish is always for the anguish of others. So his compassion reflects the deepest heart of Jesus. In Matthew 8, verse 2 and 3, when a leper says to him, and bear in mind, lepers were outcasts. You couldn't go near them. You'd be unclean. If you touched one, you would be ceremonially unclean. The religious people of the day said you'd be unclean. The leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus immediately stretches out his hand, touches the man. And with the words, I am willing, be clean, immediately the man is healed. And the word willing, both in the leper's request and in Jesus' answer, is the Greek word for desire. What's coming out of the heart? That desire. So the leper is asking about Jesus' deepest desire, and Jesus reveals his deepest desire by healing him. 
Again in Matthew 9, verse 2, when a group of men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. You imagine the scene. They, they can't get to Jesus, so they climb on the roof, destroy the person's roof, and lower their friend down to Jesus. And Jesus, notice, he doesn't even wait for them to ask for anything. He sees their faith and he says to the paralytic man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Before they asked for help. Now you could say, well, it was quite a big clue that they've dug a hole in the roof, they've lowered their friend. But the point is he doesn't wait for the man to say anything. He says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's going, you, religious people get up in arms about Jesus all the time. You can't say his sins are forgiven. And so Jesus says, so that you know I have authority to say that, pick up your mat and walk. And the paralyzed man gets up and he walks. When we speak of Jesus' heart, we are speaking of what naturally comes out of him. He came to seek and save all that was lost. He came to destroy all the works of the evil one. Sin, sickness, death, the devil itself. It's what he came to do. Jesus came not just to point people to the way, but say he is the way. He is the way by which anyone can be saved. And just going back to that story about the leper, one of the remarkable things about Jesus, who, who is a, a Jew, he operates, though, in the opposite spirit to the religious people. Remember the Jewish system of the law, there are categories for uncleanness and cleanness, barriers and borders for people. Jesus was the cleanest person ever to walk the face of the earth. He was the, the clean one, sinless. If we begin to try and fathom that, we can't fathom his sheer purity and holiness of his mind and his heart. But Whenever he saw what was considered unclean, he didn't shy away from it. He moved towards it, towards that person. The dead, you couldn't touch a dead person. The sick, you couldn't touch a sick person. Lepers, you couldn't touch lepers. You shouldn't associate with people with dodgy backgrounds, morals. And in the old Jewish system, when you touch someone who is unclean, as I said earlier, you become unclean. With Jesus, the reverse happens. He touches the unclean and the unclean become clean. He loves to give people back their humanity, their dignity, their identity. And he still does. What the devil ruined, Jesus restores. But it's not over yet, is it? 
I was talking on Alpha about what Jesus did on the cross and you know, likened it to sort of D-Day. And we celebrate D-Day. And then sometime later we celebrate VE Day. The victory. In many ways the cross is D-Day. And Jesus dies for this lost, broken world. For every sin, yours and mine included, that we may be forgiven, restored, healed, have eternity to look forward to. But we know that there is still evil in the world. Just watch the news tonight. But there is going to come a VE day when Jesus comes again. And there will be justice. I know that's why you chose that song, Alan. Jesus reveals who he is in what he says, but also what he does. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our despair. When we think everything has fallen to pieces, when we feel even that God has turned his back on us, he cannot have done. We know it feels like that sometimes, but we have to remind ourselves of who he is. We may not always understand what is going on, but we trust in him. The same Jesus who reached out and touched lepers reaches out and puts his arms around us. The same Jesus who reached out to sinners reaches out to us and says, be clean, be healed, you are mine. And he invites us still. Come to me, he says. And that's the invitation tonight. We share in this simple meal that Christians have celebrated since the Last Supper. 2,000 years we've been celebrating a simple meal, sharing the bread and the cup, and coming once again back to Jesus. And the same Jesus who walked on this earth invites us now. Come to me all who are weary and burdened. Take and eat. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever we do this, we are looking forward. But we are also proclaiming what he's done. And so I'd like us to spend time as we share communion with Jesus tonight. To realize what this really means. Because we can get accustomed to his grace. I know I do. but to know how much he loves us. His heart is for us. Jesus invites us to come tonight 
to put our faith in him if we haven't done that already. To come again in thankfulness for that moment when he hung on the cross for you and for me. So let's pray together as we come and just spend time with Jesus tonight at his invitation, drawing close to him. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and warm our hearts again. If they've grown cold, to warm them again with the love of Jesus. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So we're going to use some songs just to prepare to share communion together. Feel free to sit or stand as you worship, to sing or just be still. But to know that Jesus loves you, gave his life for you, wants you to walk with him through this life and into eternity. It's all right. So let's worship together.